Hello and welcome to the Empowered Hormone Podcast, where we pull apart all those taboo topics, periods, parasites, poos, hormones and more. Let's question everything you've been taught about your body. I'm your host, Sheridan Decker, a gin-loving gut health nerd passionate about debunking myths on birth control, period pain and IBS. If you struggle with bloating or your period is less than pretty, then join me as we chat about everything relating to gut and hormone health. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Empowered Hormone Podcast. This episode is sponsored by my 7-Day Beat the Bloat Challenge. So ladies, if you want the tips, tricks and recipes to get you from bloated to beautiful, jump to the show notes and register now. Today I have the privilege of speaking to Meg Yonkson and I'm pretty excited. This feels like a dream come true. I've had a girl crush on Meg for years. I guess I first came across Meg when I started looking into all my grunning, grunning, chronic, man, my words today, gut problems, but quitting sugar and buying all Sarah Wilson's books. So my love of Sarah meant I also fell in love with Meg, her beautiful photos, recipes, and mainly her ability to cook the best camp breakfast. Thank you so much for being here today, Meg. Oh, it's so nice to be here talking with you. So a little bit about Meg. So Meg's a qualified nutritionist and all-around food creative. So she does well the things I don't. Working as an art director, recipe developer, food stylist, qualified nutritionist, graphic designer, creative thinker, and organized project manager. She's been working professionally in the food space for about 10 years, creating highly engaging food content that spans across print and digital platforms. Meg's photos, as you will see when you jump on her Instagram after this, are stunning. And I must say, me and everyone else are very envious. It puts our slap happy photos to shame. <laughs> That's very generous. So tell me, tell me a little bit about your story. Obviously, that's quite the intro. It gives you, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, you've got a lot yeah. to live up with over the next 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> how did you get into food? How did you get into photography? How did you get into the whole creative industry? Um, I studied nutritional medicine at university um, a while ago now. And when I was there, I was most interested in working with my patients that we would see on the on-site clinic I went to Endeavour um, on giving them recipes. So I would basically like see these clients, see these patients and then go home and create recipes and just like shoot them in my tiny apartment um, in Melbourne. And I found that that was the most beneficial way of showing these clients how to like eat better. It was so, you know, it's hard I found to tell patients to eat more flax seeds or whatever it was and I would find it easier just because that's what I found easy to show to them how to do that through recipes. And I started just taking photos and like printing them out on like these flimsy, I don't know, books that I would bind together with staples and things. Um, and I just started that way. I just found it, it was an interest of mine. And um, it was basically a tool that I started using as a way to approach my clients' problems in my own way, I guess. So that's kind of how it all started. Um, and then I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do after university. I was going to study dietetics. Um, and I think like a lot of people in my position, when you go to actually do that, you realize what that would entail as a day-to-day -day job. Um, and that wasn't necessarily where I thought I would 
offer the most. Um, and so I randomly moved to Sydney with my sister and I got a job just working in um, health food stores and I just decided to be that annoying person that just always thinks of new things to do. So I decided to start cooking for um, like just the store, free treats and things for everybody. And it just, and I would print out little recipe cards like from Officeworks. I would go past Officeworks on my way to the health food store. And that's kind of how I started. And then from there I got a job at I Put Sugar, which is where kind of I started working predominantly in recipe development and particularly in healthy recipes. Wow. Okay. So you were studying, so you studied nutritional medicine or nutrition. Yep. So that brings you out as a qualified nutritionist? Yes, with Endeavour. So it was a Bachelor of Health Science majoring uh, in nutritional medicine. Yeah. Yes. That was a long time ago now. <laughs> yeah. So you start that and then, yeah, obviously you start cooking for people, working in the health space and whatnot, and then at I Quit Sugar. So did you do any other studies in creativity? Like what... Yeah, so I've done a few little things along over the years. I've done um, like different food courses, like I've done a, a styling workshop, photography workshop. Um, what else have I done? I've done like a knife workshop, how to use knives and how to chop things properly. Um, I've actually studied as a graphic designer, so I'm also a graphic designer, um, which has been really useful just in the mediums that I use and the different people that I meet in the industry. It's very useful to be able to use the Adobe Suite. Um, so I've done, and along the way, I've done more things as well. I've done a recipe writing course. Yeah, a bunch of little things, but there were more um, like weekend courses. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And yeah. ways to upskill, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, like you're either, this is going to sound funny, but you're either creative or you're not, you know what I mean? Like for some <laughs> things you don't need, you don't need the skills. Or like someone can learn to be smart, but I don't think you can learn to be creative. Like, and well, I I don't know because I was when I was at school and then at university. I always saw myself as more of the science nerd. I was definitely not. Um, I, you know, my mum was an artist and my sister was too, and I was more like my dad. I was very regimented and routine focused, and I would write lists and would be quite on schedule with timings, and that's just always been who I am. And to have now be a working creative, I, it is kind of crazy to think that I thought of myself completely opposite to that. Um, so, yeah, I do think that, like, you can learn it, but I must have had it in me um, that I just never knew. I just thought I was, like, this science nerd. And even when I was working in recipe development and still now, I do approach it quite methodically. And um, that's why I work a lot on project managing food projects because I am a creative and I work as a creative, but I do love organizing and being on top of time and budgets and all of the rest of it. So I like both sides. So when did your creative role first start? Because when you started working at I Quit Sugar, what were you, what was your main role there? What were you employed as? So I actually started as an, in the editorial team. Um, I was writing um, because I was a nutritionist. So I was writing their, their food articles, their health articles, and they did want someone that had like that credibility behind them to be able to do research into the sugar aspect or fat or whatever it was. Um, and they loved me doing that. And there was a girl there that was working on the recipes and her job was so appealing to me. And I just said to my bosses, I just want to do her job. And they were like, well, no, you're our writer. Like, 
you're not like our recipe developer. And I was like, well, that's just what I want to do. And I'm just a bit sassy sometimes, particularly when I was younger. Um, And I just said, well, that's what I want to do. So they said, okay. And uh, which was nice of them considering I had no experience whatsoever um, besides just my, I guess, my ambition and like they could see that I love doing it, you know, on the side. Um, so they let, I did 50-50 for a while. So I was writing there and then I was doing their recipes. And then when Sarah did her first cook, um, her first Simplicious cookbook after the I Quit Sugar ones, yeah. she needed recipe developers to work on that. And she was kind enough to let the non- I mean, she could have gotten the most professional recipe developers in all of Australia to work on her books, but she um, gave the opportunity to me and a few others in the team. So that was like my first real recipe job Um, and that was a pretty cool one, I guess. Yeah, wow. So tell me, how how do you develop a recipe? Like how does someone even start? Because like in my field of experience, right, so I work with more chronic gut stuff so I can't just, even like the I Quit Sugar books, which I love, there's so many of my clients can't eat it because it's got cabbage in it or garlic mm. in it and everyone loves cooking with garlic but they can't <laughs> eat that stuff, you know what I mean? So when I'm, I don't create recipes, it's just not my thing. I find people I trust like the SIBO doctor, all those people and work through their recipes and modify them or change them kind of thing but when you're starting with developing a recipe what is there some what do you do do you just taste and trial and error or do you look at other recipes and what things have worked or are you going for certain flavor components like is there any science <laughs> um I think every job is different and I think every recipe developer is different I you know personally I think my strengths are in thinking of quirky combos and making food interesting and more simple. So for me, if I wanted to take like just say a classic lasagna, it depends what the brief would be. If the brief, for example, for you, if it was to reduce, you know, fructose containing foods or whatever it would be, I would update that like a typical recipe and reduce those things and add those flavour back in other ways. Um, And I will always work, I think this is just due to my my long recipe development work with Sarah Wilson over the years, but I always simplify everything as much as possible. Um, so I kind of create my own briefs. So whether that's I want it to not include these foods, I want it to have this many serves of vegetables, I want it to be gluten-free, dairy-free. So I create briefs for myself and then from there that's when I develop. Um, I develop first with a cool idea in mind because sometimes People, if they're going to be trying a new recipe out for the first time, they don't want to just make the boring, I don't know, chicken sandwich. They want like, you know, the chicken Caesar sandwich. They just want something that has a bit of a quirk to it and makes them interested to cook it. So I kind of do, over the years, I guess, have developed a way of making recipes that is very editorial and very catchy. So people, you know, it's their first impression of the recipe is about what their vibe is about it. So I try and make sure that the photos, I'm very driven by visuals. So the recipe name and then the way that it's going to be shot is basically where I start from. And then I use the brief to kind of make it fit into my vision. Um, That's not always as easy as it might sound. Not that I'm sure it sounds easy, but, yeah, it's, it's difficult at times. Because I'm very visually focused, so I need it to look good in the last photo. Otherwise, no one's going to eat it. Yeah. Yeah, well, I've never thought of it 
backwards in that sense. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, I would work completely the other way and be like, okay, what? Well, that similar sense. Like, I would create a brief in my head and be like, mm. okay, you can't avoid ga- or like you can't have garlic and onion. But mm-hmm. I'm nowhere in the least thinking about what the heck it's going to look like at the end. I'm like, I don't even care. Like, I don't even really yeah. care that much if it tastes good. It just cannot include these ingredients because otherwise. Yeah. Z's gonna happen you know what I mean but yeah, yeah. that's fascinating so you started creating recipes for I quit sugar and playing around I guess with ingredients then and styling and photos so were you taking photos is that when you first sort of started taking more photos and stuff as well um I don't like I, I more um, manage the creative team in the projects that I've worked on so I do food photography for my dodgy Instagram um but for like all the jobs that I've done, I've always hired um, professional photographers. So I've learned a lot from them over the years about lighting and working with stylists and how to do that. Um, when you're on a, on a shoot, you do need a fair few people um, when you're working in bigger quantities of recipes just to get through the recipes. Um, I'm sure for anyone that does a few recipes at home and they shoot them themselves, it takes hours to set up and make the photos look good. So it's um, cost effective in the long run to get like a team. Um, get Usually there's the recipe person, the stylist and the photographer because you can get through 12 recipes a day at max. But if you're doing that on your own, you could only really get through two or so. So um, I learned a lot about that then and some film. We did a lot of video. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think I'm a... a good photographer. I think I definitely, I provide the photographer and the stylist with the right recipe that can be photographed well. Um, and that's kind of what I try and do. I try and give them something to work with. And yeah. How much, there's got to be a lot of trial and error then. You've got to know that these recipes are going to work really well before you're getting a whole team of creatives together to shoot it, for example. You know, like say your new cookbook, for example, you've got- oh, yes. Yeah, exactly. Like how how long did it take you to create a recipe for that? I mean, some they're probably maybe you've had them for years and you've built them up and the ones you've liked, you haven't just sat down and write, I'm just going to write 50 salad recipes, bam, go. But, the, you know, like trial and error with a recipe, surely that's going to take time as well in the creating aspect. Um, it does, but it is it, because I've been doing it for quite some time. I have the process kind of like down pat and different projects require different levels of testing. For example, I'm working on product development at the moment, which is products that will be packaged and like people will buy basically from shelves. And they obviously require very strict testing processes um, and needs to be very specific to the microgram. Um, So those kinds of recipes require so much, like weeks and weeks, months and months of testing and um, just figuring out the exact quantities. You will change like just micro amounts in in a recipe and have to test the whole thing. So that's that's more complicated. Um, But then more with like cookbook recipes or recipes that appear online because there's already so much difference in people's sizes of zucchinis that you can get at the shops for example you don't need it to test so rigorously like you say one medium zucchini and you try and get that but then at home someone might have a large one so you do allow in recipes for some variants so for example when you've seen a recipe where it says bake for 40 to 50 minutes that's because oven temperatures will vary greatly so there is testing that needs to go into it but in terms of the really fine specifics 
I generally know what the variance will be and I can provide that in a method, but it's definitely some jobs like product development um, that require just a shocking amount of testing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. And then I guess the more you work with recipes, the more you would know, like say your chicken recipe in your newsletter that went out this morning and you've got okay. so many like teaspoons of this or you know sumac or spices or whatever you're putting into it then you would have in your head oh I'm not going to go five tablespoons right because that's just going to be like an epic fail you would start to go oh I need with these kind of seasonings I would be working with one to two teaspoons or one to two tablespoons or you know everything needs a balance of salt sugar acidity or whatever it is I guess like anything the more you work with it the better you become at it and the easier it becomes yeah, I, I don't even realise that I have that inbuilt into me sometimes because a lot of my friends, I've got friends that are very much foodies and I've got friends that are, don't cook whatsoever. And um, I some of them just find it so hilarious that I can just open a spice drawer and know what spices go together intuitively. And I just think that we're all born with that knowledge, so I don't even realise that I am doing that as something that somebody else can't do. So so much of that comes into play. I know how much turmeric you can use before it tastes horrible. And I just know that from years and years of using these ingredients. So there's definitely ingredients that I have less experience with, like because I've not actually worked a lot with um, typical baking recipes, working with like a general cake and that that is not actually a strength of mine because I've not worked a lot in that area. I'm more confident in working with like the sugar-free, gluten-free, dairy-free cake than I am a, a basic typical recipe. So yeah, I, I have a lot of that stuff that I just know how much something will work. And also when I, I write the recipe and then when I go to test it, I can see if it's going to work or not before I even do it. So a lot of the times the first test isn't like, I, I don't have many disasters in the first test because I know enough to not muck it up that badly. Yeah. Most of the time it's yeah. very rare that something will completely fail in a first test. Yeah, totally. So what are some of your favorite spices to work with? I go through phases. Like um, I think like anybody, I think with um, just the foods that I love eating and buying and using and, and whatever that changes with me with the seasons, what is on special or what I'm drawn to in the, in the supermarket. So um, at the moment I use, I've always used a lot of ground coriander. Yeah. Um, I love paprika. We do a bit of Mexican at home and that recipe that I sent out this morning in my newsletter was using sumac and I just jump on the sumac train every now and then and then I leave and then I come back and um, and whatever. But no, I do, I pretty much use a lot of, most spices, That's, I use spices in a lot of my cooking um, just to give flavour and also just like colour. Um, yeah, you know, it just adds something to what you're eating. So yeah. yeah, one of my housemates cooks heaps with turmeric. What do you think pairs well with turmeric? Because I find it is quite a strong flavor, and just by itself, sometimes it's just I don't know, it just doesn't do it for me. No, neither. I think we've all gotten in this huge turmeric train. It's like kale, you know what I mean? It's so good, but we also do have lots of other spices we can use. I use it a lot mostly, to be honest, in colouring. So yeah. I will add turmeric. Um, I added it, for example, to that sumac chicken just to give that chicken like a glow when it cooked. You can't see the yellow so much, but it really makes the skin look more vibrant. Um, yeah. So I use it a lot for that reason, probably most. And if I am using it 
um, in like a, a drink or something like a health drink, I will make sure that I'm putting in some cinnamon to sweeten it up a little bit yeah. and perhaps a little bit of like um, sugar-free sweetener and some milk just to have that creamy like sweet flavour with it as well. So it yeah. does need to be counteracted, I think, with some sweeter spices. Yeah, for sure. So were you sugar-free before you started working there? Because obviously a lot of your recipes now are <laughs> sugar-free because you are, I would say, you're more of a savoury person from what I've followed from Yes, your- that's so funny. I, for my whole life, like... I've never been a sweet person ever, ever, ever. It's so funny that I even worked in Life with Sugar because I would get that question quite often. And it was hard for me to develop the sweet recipes because I just never have that. Uh, I never want a sweet treat. Like I joke and, you know, I've like my partner's obsessed with ice cream and I would rather like a slice of lasagna yeah. than I would a slice of cake. Like I'm just so savoury. It's weird. Yeah. Um, I didn't even start eating chocolate until I became a recipe developer. Like I didn't even eat it growing up. Um, Like for Easter, my parents would get me like clothes or something because I just was so uninterested in sweet food whatsoever. So the awkward sugar thing (laughs) was shockingly easy for me. Um, I never actually had to quit sugar. And still to this day, like I just am never drawn to sweet things, luckily, but I'm also, you know, very much into a lot of oil, a lot of butter, um, yeah. chicken skin and all of the rest of it. So that's kind of where I, where my vices are. The the butter thing's funny because I first came across that cultured butter when you started posting about it and using it in your cooking and stuff. And I remember seeing it being like, what the heck is this whole cultured <laughs> butter thing? And you would just rave about it. And like, and I'm like, okay. So then I was in, I was in Melbourne when I was traveling across to Queensland and I went to a cafe there and they served like bread with this cultured butter. And oh, I, yeah. I literally said to my dad, cause I was with him, this is the one that I quit sugar girls use. And then yeah, it was just like that and bread and it was the best thing ever and then I was just like I was like oh this butter so whenever we went down south we went on camping trip whatever we would grab some culture butter if we could (laughs) like I can't get it here because Elvin is a small town but yeah Yeah. stuff like that is just it's game changing in a recipe or even simple like man yeah and particularly when you you are quitting sugar and you know having satiating fats and proteins very good but I know particularly me and my sister it must be something in our genes we really do need a lot of fat to um to operate um so I think it must be you know somehow (laughs) it's 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 true though because there's so many women who even after you know we're sort of changing this whole diet culture around fat who still Mm. are so scared of it and are scared to cook with it scared to eat with it scared to use it and Mm. it just it makes your recipes taste so much better like yeah I was found that I find that interesting because I I forget sometimes I'm in such a bubble um surrounded by people that are like-minded and I went away with some friends and the girls were buying like low fat yogurt, like hunting that out. And I just was shocked by it because I'm just in such a different headspace around it all. So it is interesting that people still are um, eating those because it's just not as tasty. That's the point, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. And why cook something that's not not tasty? Um, yeah. What would be, yeah. What would be some of your favourite sort of additions to a meal to make it taste good, a good quality fat? Yeah, I mean, I'm I love texture. So if I'm this is just personally how I love eating, but I love different textures. I always use a lot of nuts in my salads and even if I'm having a curry or something, I need a crunch factor, whether it's puppet arms or, you know, walnuts or something like that. So 
Crunch is a huge one for me. Um, And creaminess. I don't like, um, I kind of just do need a lot of textures in my food, I think. I just don't like dry things. I don't like... um, like salads with no nothing tossed through or whatever. So I use a lot of like avocado or yes. I make a lot of mayonnaise at home and aioli myself um, purely because I love that and it's just a creamy fat that I can toss through basically anything and put onto bread and, and whatever. So I use a lot of that, so a lot of nuts, a lot of mayonnaise, lots of avocado, um, lemon. I think lemon. Um, I always have so many lemons and limes sitting at home because that will just – Without anything else, I'll just put lemon on something and it's tastier, you know, because generally I do buy good ingredients that already have a lot of flavour to begin with and I think that might be a problem that a lot of people have when they're getting into healthier eating that, you know, foods are bland and um, that is because there is less, you know, processed salt and sugar in, in whole foods but it's also because, you know, when you're buying locally grown or just in-season vegetables, they're tastier and you don't need to do much with a tomato or, you know, a broccoli or whatever it is um, if it's grown well. Those things are naturally tastier with a bit of salt and olive oil. So I think you, you don't need to add so much when you do buy better ingredients as well. Yeah, I, 100% on that. I know it's the difference between going to my grandma's and she's got a massive veggie and fruit garden down the road and grows all her own avocado. Oh, wow. Everything. has so many avocado trees. But <sighs> so, so much stuff. But tasting her tomatoes or her peaches mm-hmm. or grilling them up or anything compared to going to Coles and Woolies, like the mm. flavour, diff- you can't even compare the two. Like it's just. Yeah. I'm always shocked when I when I do eat, you know, I know Coles and Woolies do support a lot of um, local growers and the rest of it but some way about the way that they store and ripen their fruits and vegetables I don't notice it until I will go in like particularly when I um, need to go there to buy things to cook with because I generally will go to Harris Farm which is in a Sydney kind of grocer um, and they they're very like pro farmers and the rest of it but their food tastes completely different and if I cook one of my recipes with produce from Coles or Woolworths, I'm like shocked at like how little flavour it has. So sometimes I do need to do tests with just, you know, regular fruits and vegetables just to know what um, other people are cooking with because I'm so used to using good ingredients. So I do actually have to think about that a fair bit with my work. Yeah, I didn't even think of Yeah, I didn't even <laughs> think about that, of course, because, yeah, you're right, you're using such beautiful produce. What about meats then? Are you picky with where you get your meat and what type of meat you use? Um, yeah, so I go to like local butchers. I've got a local butcher up um, the hill from me here that I really love. And also the butcher that's in Harris Farm is really amazing. And they do like plastic free everything. So they oh. tell you to bring your containers and they oh. fill it up and it's it's really nice. Um, and they write where the meats come from. So I am really into that, particularly because when I grew up, my grandmother was a butcher. So I'm so Conditioned, my I know my grandmother was a butcher, which is so random. She was an Austrian butcher, um, was just as rough as guts. So we grew up eating meat like quite a lot, and it was always like very good steaks and you know sausages with no bad fillers or anything like that. So my standards growing up were very high. So I struggled to do anything less than that, and I think that's a lot to do with my upbringing. 
Yeah, wow, wow. And here's another thing, and you're going to bust this myth out of the park for me, but so many people say that healthy eating, you need um, a lot of equipment and it's really hard work and all this stuff. And I know that you have a big focus on, I don't know what you've got at home actually, but your camping cooking is always amazing. So tell me, how much how much equipment do you use? I don't actually. I think I am slightly embarrassed about how little kitchen stuff I has have to be operating as a professional recipe developer. Honestly, it's um, it, like just yesterday I bought a kitchen spoon, like a spoon to like scoop things out for the first time in years. Like I have like one knife, I have one chopping board, I have like two mixing bowls. Like it's so povo what I have. Um, but I've not run into a problem with it yet because the like you said, the recipes that I develop for all of my clients always have to be for just the general Australian. And so I've never ever had the need to buy equipment that's out of, um, you know, out of touch with like the regular at home cook. Um, so I have very little and I very much love cooking on the campfire. Like you said, it's, it's definitely one of my favorite, favorite hobbies. And I, I get so much joy from doing that whenever we go away. And it's as simple as you get, like, you're eating half dirt, half charcoal, toasties, and you really have nothing. Like I don't even bring like chopping boards away with me. You have like a fish knife, gutting knife that I somehow have to use to like chop things. It is um, very hilarious, but it always ends up super delicious for that reason. Yeah, yeah, totally. So on on that point, then you don't need to be a good cook to make your recipes. So tell me a bit about how your salad cookbook came down. What made you decide to put out your own book? Oh, yes, that was a really, really fun project for me. I was working on a job with Hayden Quinn for, I can't remember, some brand, and the photographer at the time was Louisa Brimble. And she was someone that I always wanted to meet and I hadn't met her in the industry yet. Um, and I'd met like a lot of photographers and stylists over the years. So when Hayden asked me to work on this shoot, I actually didn't have a lot of time, but when he said Louise was shooting, I was like, I need to do this project. And when I met her, we just got along so well and she was like better than I thought she was gonna be in real life. And she just was like to me, you need to do your own, your own stuff. You've been working for other people for too long. and you know, you've got a lot to show the world and blah, 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 blah. And she was just so outrageously supportive. It's like shocking how supportive she can be to so many people in the same position as me. So yeah, she just said to me, and she was just, she was the one that made me do it to be completely honest. Like I had so much work going on. I was moving and all this stuff. And every day she would hound me, how's the recipes going? What am I shooting? When am I shooting? And I was like, oh, you're so good. And then she was like, I'm just going to shoot, you know, I'm going to shoot it for you. I'm going to get a great stylist in. So we just shot at my house. And after we shot the photos, I loved them. And and then every day after that, she was like, so have you done the design? Like, where's the book? Show me, show me what you've done. And she was very, very supportive. And she made me very accountable because if it wasn't for her, I definitely wouldn't have put that out. But I really just wanted to experiment with my style um it's something that i don't do a lot because even midweek i'm a lot of the meals that i eat a a lot of the time for work so i'm always cooking and eating to somebody else's brief which i love and i love challenges but this recipe book was really about me just finding my style and it was so hard it was like the hardest project i'd have to work on because it was so personal so 
yeah. hopefully I can do more of that stuff going forward because I did really love it. And um, I loved working with Louisa um, and Olivia, the stylist, and just figuring out what I liked visually and in flavors and textures in color and the rest of it. It was a very creative project. Yeah, and it is nice, you're right, to do your own thing and as challenging and as hard as it is, but to have your own little piece of Meg in the world and also, yeah. you know, like what what, what do I like rather than, yeah, what does everyone else like? And for those listening, I will put a link in for the cookbook so that you can click on and have a look um, and also Meg's uh, recipes and her website and all that stuff as well and her Instagram so you can um, get <laughs> on that as well. But I think that covers a lot of what... What we're going to talk about today if there was one take-home tip for those who yeah are eating at home going oh it's just boring what 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 can they be doing adding more spices adding more fat adding flavors what's what's a tip to spice up your cooking at home a bit more I think that eating is such a personal experience for everybody and you know it's all well and good to look at people online and how they're cooking but what I like to do sometimes when I'm in a rut um is like pick out a few recipes online or from cookbooks that I like and I just cook them and then I figure out what I liked about it and what I didn't like about it and then I redo it again and I just think it's about experimenting and like you're only going to learn what works and what flavors you like by just getting in the kitchen and cooking a little bit and it doesn't need to be perfect I know that from experience if you cook something mediocre that will be better than somebody cooking you something brilliant because you're so proud of yourself and you love what you've made and so I think you just need to get in the kitchen and experiment a bit yeah in every way anyway yeah, yeah <laughs> totally I back that and give yourself time like don't do it when you're rushing got five kids to feed and you're running out the door and you're you know those things just give yourself an hour or so to actually find some recipes and and time to play around with them because you're right when you're you know you're trying to jammed in or do something or yeah. it doesn't it doesn't happen so experimenting that is a good one <laughs> uh, well thank you so much for being on the podcast today and having a chat I know there's so many women who's gonna love this and we'll love your recipes and we'll love your book so I really really appreciate you taking out your time to have a chat to me oh thank you so much it was lovely chatting Awesome. All right, I will pop all Meg's um, links in the show notes so you can click in and have a look. But otherwise, jump over to her Instagram, have a squeeze, Meg Johnson, and, yeah, just reach out if you have any questions. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Empowered Hormone Podcast. If you know a female who needs some empowerment, please forward, repost, tag or share, and let's get women talking.